Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, this text before us is, begins as David is dealing with man's life and demonstrating a contrast between the eternal God and man who is finite and temporal. Have you ever thought about your life? The Bible uses metaphors to describe what our life is like. Think about what James speaks about in James 4. Your life is but a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Think about Psalm 39. And our life is described as a hand breath. A hand breath is basically the, the, the width of your hand. From here to there, that's about the duration of your life. It is a vapor. It is a hand breath. It's temporary. Job speaks about life as being that which is fleeting. He speaks in this way that my life is like a runner. A runner. He, he runs quickly and the race is over. So it is with our lives. It is that way. It is something that springs up for a moment and then it disappears. We find in Isaiah 40, he speaks about our life. What actually quotes what's here in verse 15. Um, our life is like a grass. It's like a flower. Peter picks up on that in 1 Peter 1 as well. Dealing with our lives as grass, as fly. It's fleeting, beloved. Our life is that way. It's temporary. We don't act that way oftentimes. We act as if here I stand and I will not be moved. And yet that is not what the Scriptures tell us. Our life is of short duration and it's full of troubles, difficulties, problems, constantly in the life. And that's what you find in the life of every individual. Believer and unbeliever alike. Uh, it's problems and toil and tribulation, difficulties. You have this in the natural realm to deal with. The natural evil. Uh, the wind, the rain, the floods, the drought, the hurricanes, the earthquakes. Uh, you have the tornadoes. You have all typhoons. You, you have all of these different things that are coming upon the world constantly. And they're happening all over the place. It may not be happening in our area right this particular moment, but it's happening everywhere. And people are dying. People get killed through these events of life. There are people dying of cancer, the tribulation, the evil in this sense, the natural evil in this world as a result of man's sin. We ought to be stopping and reflecting upon this. We have to think about how our lives are just simply a vapor and a temporary shadow as we read in Psalm 144. A fleeting shadow. You know what a shadow is like. As the sun's going down, you see the shadow. And it just keeps moving. It's fleeting. And then it's gone. That is our life. It's like the smoke that all of a sudden, it disappears. And so, the psalmist in Psalm 90 tells us to teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. When we don't number our days, in other words, we don't think about our mortality. We don't think about how fleeting our life is, but we think that, well, I've got plenty of time. You don't know what your life is. The fool is the one who says, you know what, I'm going to go to such and such a city. I'm going to spend time there, buy and sell and make a profit. And James says, you don't know what your life is. You don't know what you're talking about. That's what he's telling us. 
You're acting as a fool. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and I'll say this, you don't know what's going to happen in the next second. Because we live, don't we? Second by second, moment by moment. And then all of a sudden the pain of the chest comes. And you feel your body starting to crumble. And there you are falling to the ground. And then straight line you hear when the ambulance comes and hooks you up to all the wires and you're done. Your spirit has departed the body. And there it is, like you're asleep, like one has fallen asleep. And that's the metaphor that's spoken of in Scripture about death. And there's one lying there, looks like they're asleep, but they're dead. It happens that fast. Who would have thought that when we got up on Saturday morning? Did you think that? I heard the weather alert go off at about 4 or something. Said thunderstorms coming, you know, 60 mile an hour winds. That's about it. Then I got ready to go to men's Bible study. Then I heard it again. Then I started experiencing it when I got here at 6.50. And the wind was blowing and the rain was coming and the power went out a couple of times. And we started experiencing that. And some of you experienced more than others. How much would it have taken for somebody to have been killed in that? Not much. Electrocuted. The storm to blow something into your house to come right through your house. Growing up in Michigan and having heard of pieces of straw being flung by a tornado that stuck right into an oak tree. I mean, that's power. It's created power, but that's power, that's force. We used to have those little sprinklers, or what do they call them? Sparklet things, those little sparklers. They're sparklers. Not sprinklers, sparklers. <laughs> and you know, you used to get those in whatever, on 4th of July. Well, then they outlawed them in Michigan because too many of those sparkler, those wires, were discarded, and then the mower would come along, and enough people were getting killed by those things being shot out of a lawnmower. Just like that. It only takes that. I was driving to see uh, Lee Johnson this week, and as I was on Highway 6, I noticed the car, I mean, I'm pretty observant when I'm driving. Uh, I see this car uh, fading over into my lane and like then straddling the lanes. And, you know, I'm not a panic person. Maria's a panic person. I'm not a panic person. I just gradually move over. And when she passed me, she was in my lane. And I looked over as we passed, and she was texting. How much would it take for me to bend over and in the car, reach over and grab something, and next thing you know, a head-on collision? You see, we don't think about our mortality and how fleeting our life really is, and how I could walk out today, fall down the stairs, and die. 
And yet, we don't think about this to our own peril. And the scriptures call us to this. Notice all the metaphors that are given to cause us to think about your life and what is important. Because we think that those things of this earth are so important and they're nothing. Moth destroys them, thieves break in and steal, and rust corrodes them, and then we fly away and we stand before the Lord. Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to meet the one who holds your breath in his hands? Are you ready to stand before him? Are you covered in clothes in Christ? Because if you're not, you're not ready. You're arrogant. If you don't, if you're not covered in clothes in Christ, you're an arrogant individual. You think you can stand before God. And you can't. You're naked. You're exposed. This is what David is teaching us here about the brevity, really, of our life in these first couple of verses. Notice what he says in verse 14. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God doesn't forget. It just simply, the, the, the fact is that God is recounting to us that we are dust. What does that mean, that we are dust? We are fragile, aren't we? We are frail. We're put together by the dust of the earth. All the element that is in the earth is within the body of man. And that's what we are. We, we are dust. Dust we are, dust we shall return. What do you do with dust? Dust is something that you blow off. Dust, you take a little rag and you wipe it down. That's basically the composite of man. That's what we are. And that easy are we wiped off. And so, David says in our text, as for man, his days are like grass. Now, in the ancient world, grass used to be used to feed the fire. That's how you would stoke up the fire. That's how you would heat you know, the, the dwelling place. That's how you would cook your food. You'd go up and you would gather grass to use that. It would be quick fuel. And so it would be for a time and it would disappear. Think about it in our own situation. You have the grass that starts coming up in the spring. And then the next thing you know, it starts to brown. And the fall of the year is coming. And you know, you don't think much about it anymore. It begins to go dormant. And you wait for another season for it to be watered and to be green. But it only flourishes for a time and then it vanishes away. And that is how our life is, beloved. We have a time in the sun, under the sun. S-U-N-S-O-N. We have a time. And we need to know the times and the seasons of our life. You need to know what time it is in your life. You need to know when this season changes and you're coming from that, that season there, you are no longer able to do what you once did over here. Recognize it. It's a biblical fact. There are times and seasons and days and years in our life. And the fool is the one who doesn't recognize. Once long ago, Heidelberg Youth Camp, one of the cooks we were having the counselors against the campers football game. And it had rained and it was muddy out there. And one of the cooks came to get me and said, hey, let's go. We're playing. I was in my 40s at that time. I, I ain't playing. Because that season is gone. No, 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 we're all doing it. We all ain't doing it because I ain't doing it. 
I'll watch you fools out there, but I'm not playing. Well, they got going, and some of these guys, one, one of the kids, actually, it was a senior year in high school, went off to play football at um, SDSU, and, uh, and he was a big kid. I, I don't know where I was and how I, I didn't see, actually, I heard. I heard this scream. And I looked over and I saw that guy who was trying to cajole me to get out there and play holding his thigh. I knew he pulled a hamstring. Uh, It wasn't the season. You don't bend. You don't stretch. You're not prepared to do that. That's why you go out even in cleaning up the yard. You're doing things that you normally don't do. You're sore. Your body hurts. There's times and seasons because our days are like a grass. We spring up for a moment and we begin to disappear as a flower. Even in the best state, it's a man as a flower and a beautiful appearance. I mean, ladies, no offense, but look at some of your old photos. (laughs) You're looking at me like, "You, you should talk. Well, yeah, I used to have hair as well. And, and you know, there's, there's things that used to be in different places, right? As you get older, things begin to change. And you're only basically a shell of what you once were. And your grandkids will look at your pictures and say, Wow, Grandma, you were beautiful. You were beautiful. It's like a flower, right? There's a time. And even as the flowers, they come up and they look so beautiful. But how long do they last? We try to make them last. We cut them down. We put them in cellophane. We try to press them together to preserve them. They're fragile. They're they're frail. They're they're brittle. They break up. So man's life is like this, beloved. This is how we are. We flourish for a time. And then notice the wind passes over us. You ever see a dust storm? You see, one time here even in Sutton, there was a... I don't know, the sky all of a sudden became really green and and eerie looking. And then dust, I don't know where it came from, but it was like a dust storm that came in through town. Uh, Just think about that. The wind passed over it. It is gone. Leaves fall and then they're blown away. And where were they? Where did they go? You don't even remember their place anymore. David is saying our lives are like that. We're here, we make our mark, and the wind blows over it, and you know what? It's gone. Sometimes in in the cemeteries, you forget who's out there. You walk through the cemetery, and you start looking at all of the the headstones, and looking at the dates, and the times, and, and what this person may have done. You don't remember. This place is remembered no more. And yet we think we're such monuments... In this world, we're we're not reflecting upon that which is truly important. And that is our service of the Lord. Jesus talks about giving. And he talks about our treasure. And he links these two things together. Heart and treasure. This is inescapable. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is in the material things of earth, there's your heart. Your heart is set on these things of earth. If your treasure is Christ, He is the pearl of great price. If your treasure is Christ, then your heart is in heaven. Your affection, 
your love, your desire, your aspirations, your striving is all about Christ and His glory. So it is really the heart reveals, doesn't it? It's revelatory. It reveals our treasure. And what you treasure, where your heart is, is what you worship. What you worship is what you treasure. It's inescapable. And what man thinks is so important is an abomination in the sight of God. And so coming back to, again, Psalm 90, teach us. Notice the psalmist, I've got to be taught. Moses wrote Psalm 90. I've got to be taught to number my days. What that means is I need to know and recognize that my life is fragile and frail and fleeting. And I've only been given a certain amount of time to serve the Lord and to make a difference in His kingdom. His kingdom. Not my kingdom. His kingdom. And then I fly away. The wind passes over it and it's gone. Tracks are laid and the wind comes and blows and the tracks are no more. Our lives make tracks and the wind blows over it and it is no more. You make the difference, beloved, while you have life and breath. While you have the time that God has given to you. You know, many times a number of you have said to me, I don't remember, I don't have a really good memory, and I struggle with the sermons, I struggle to remember after the fact. And my comment to you is this, that the Holy Spirit is making changes within our lives at the moment that the Word is being proclaimed, whether you remember everything or not. I don't remember everything. The Holy Spirit is doing His work, and He's doing it now. I often say, do you remember what you ate for lunch uh, three weeks ago on Tuesday? Most people say, I have no idea. Well, did it nourish you at the time that you ate it? Yes. Uh, That's the way that the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the Word. He nourishes and strengthens and builds up our hearts while the Word is being preached at the moment. That's Christ walking among the candlesticks and ministering to His people with His Word and making substantive changes within our life. Then, hearing, listening. And so, the place is remembered no more. That's, the, that's how frail we are, our temporary life. And then we fly away. Let me, let me ask you this. Are you ready to die? I didn't ask you if you wanted to die. I asked you, are you ready to die are you prepared during Christmas time you'll hear people are you ready for Christmas well, what does that mean I mean you're talking about you got presents or you got all the people that you need to buy gifts for you bought them all is that what you're talking about well let me ask you again are you ready to die are, are you prepared to die have you closed with Christ in all of his offices do you know that he is your prophet priest and king Do you know that He's satisfied for all of your sins? Do you know that you're covered and clothed in His perfection? Do you know that? Because if you don't, beloved, then you are not ready to die. You are not prepared to die. You are only prepared to die if you can truly say, for me to live is Christ. Because then to die is truly gain. It's knowing that I am in Him and He is in me. That's the assurance that the Holy Spirit brings 
through the Word of God. Are you prepared? Because it's coming. And it's coming for all of us. And we don't know when it's coming. Only that it's coming. And our presumption and our arrogance, well, it won't be today. You don't know that. You don't know. I think I said this during a Sunday school once. It was, kind of, it was really sad. <clears throat> I, was, I was at the doctor. I was talking to the nurse. And I, I don't remember how the conversation started, but I know where it went. And she, I saw she had tears in her eyes. And I asked her, are, are you okay? She says, that just brought up memories of my two-year-old son who died. And I said, would you like to talk about it? He died by swallowing some type of a shell nut. And it got lodged in his throat. And it cut off his air. And they tried to do CPR. And they couldn't dislodge that, 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 that uh, obstacle that was in the throat. And she had a doctor that lived next door. She ran next door with the child who was turning blue. And he couldn't dislodge it either. And they watched that baby die. How quick did that happen? She said she looked away for a moment. And the next thing you know, he's choking. Simple Heimlich maneuver, right? Could not dislodge it. Oh, it will never happen to me or to my child. That's how fleeting our life is, beloved. And we arrogantly, we arrogantly don't think of that. But this brings us right with our mortality, doesn't it? The contrary. To how fleeting our life is, how temporary our life is, the shadow that passes quickly. God's mercy. God's mercy is lamentations, tells us. It's new every morning. God has new morning mercies for his people. And notice, it's from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercy upon His people reaches even to the heavens. It is vast. It is wide. It is deep. God is merciful. God doesn't give us what our sins deserve. So what if I choke and I die right here? If my sins have been covered by Christ, praise the Lord. Because I go to be with the Lord. Temporary life is gone. It's going anyway. But I go on to eternity. I go on and I'm covered and clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ for eternity. God's mercy towards His people. Notice it's towards those who fear Him. Are you one who fears the Lord? And what is this fear that He's speaking about here? Fear is not a fear of trembling. When you talk about the godly individual, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is worship. The fear of the Lord is adoration. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of life. The fear of the Lord is not a servile fear as a slave trembling before a slave master. The fear of the Lord for the believer is a familial fear. 
It's a fear of offending the God that we love, the God that we worship, the God who has purchased me. It's the fear of the Lord that spurs up my worship and my adoration of God. It's the fear of the Lord that strengthens me to obey Him and gives me a desire to want to obey the Lord. That fear of the Lord. Do you have that fear? That fear is what the Holy Spirit puts into His redeemed. The ones who He raises up from spiritual death to spiritual life. He gives them the fear of the Lord. It's not a, I know what the Bible says, but I think. That's not the attitude of one who fears the Lord. The one who fears the Lord wants to know. It reminds me of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, when he came in contact with Ahab, the king of Jerusalem, king of Israel. And so they were going to go to war. Not, Ahab and Jehoshaphat were going to be those that were allies and he was going to help. But anyway, he wanted to hear from the prophets. And he asked Ahab, is there any of the prophets of the Lord here? Oh, there's Micaiah, but I hate him. And Jehoshaphat said, let the king say not such thing. Do not say such and such. Do not say that. Let us hear from the prophet of the Lord. That's what the one who fears the Lord says. I want to know what God says. Is this acceptable for me? Should I be doing this? Is this honoring to God? Not, does this please me? Is this for my pleasure? Do I feel good doing this? The question is, does this honor the Lord? Is this in keeping with His Word? And that's the one who fears the Lord. Do you have that fear? Is the Holy Spirit, has He stirred up that fear of the Lord in your life? So that you will forsake family and friends because of the fear of the Lord? You are willing to turn your back on those things because the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord makes you bold. The fear of the Lord gives you confidence. The fear of the Lord makes you humble. The fear of the Lord stirs you up to love and good works. The fear of the Lord causes you to worship God and serve your neighbor. Do you have that fear, beloved? Is that fear of the Lord seen in your life by the way that you live your life? You know, when you speak about the love of God, does the love of God dwell in me? How do you know? Jesus said, in this way, John 13, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And what example does he use? Foot washing, a principle, service. Are you serving others? Are you a servant of others? Do you see yourself as a slave of Christ and therefore a servant of God to serve mankind? Is the fear of the Lord seen in your life? It's on those, His mercy, that fear Him. Not in those who don't fear Him. Not in those who don't reverence Him. You, you see what David is saying here is those who receive the mercy of God are those that adore God. They worship, they honor, they praise, they walk in obedience. Not a perfection, but certainly the direction of their life. And this is a righteousness that is to the children's children. Children's children, to your grandchildren. It's a covenant promise. It's covenantally what's given. The Lord works mercy in your life and you then affect change in the lives of others around you. Your children's children 
because of the mercy of God and because of your fear of God in the life that's demonstrated of your following, submitting, worship, adoring, and obeying Christ. To such as keep His covenant. We are all covenant breakers. Every one of us have broken the covenant of God. But how are we viewed? What is my position in Jesus Christ? Covenant keeper. I am viewed by God, looked upon by God, as if I had kept all of the stipulations of His commandments perfectly. Why? Because Christ did. That has been imputed to me. By true faith, that being the pipeline, as it were, the conduit, by which I receive all the blessings of Jesus Christ, I am now covered and clothed in Him. We are regarded as covenant keepers. So... You are born of the Spirit of God. And that you are born of the Spirit of God will be seen in you being more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That means there will be a consistent growth in obedience. Not disobedience. Not marginalization of the things of God. Not disregard. But more. More growth. More obedience. More desire. More honor of the Lord. And so we strive then as the redeemed to keep his covenant out of a thankful heart to those who remember to his commandments to do them. We begin, as the catechism says, to become obedient not only according to some but according to all the commandments of God. There's no true believer in here that wants to worship another God. You're not one who's running after idols and images. If you're a true believer, you want to worship God as He has commanded in His Word. In the way that He has prescribed. If you're a true believer, you're not wanting to take the Lord's name in a vain way. But as the Catechism says, we use His name with fear and reverence. With adoration. If you're a true believer, you're not forsaking the Lord's day. You want to gather together with the people of God. You want to worship God. If you're a true believer, you're wanting to honor your parents. You're wanting to do well to your parents. If you're a true believer, you're not wanting to kill somebody. You're wanting to love your neighbor. You're wanting even to strive to love your enemies and to do good to those that hate you and say all manner of evil against you. If you're a true believer, you don't want to commit adultery. You strive to be faithful in the relationships with God has given to you. If you're a true believer, you don't want to steal your neighbor's goods. You're not a thief. You don't want to embezzle. You want to be honest. You want to be trustworthy. You want to be genuine. If you're a true believer, you don't want to be a liar. You go around perverting and distorting the truth. If you're a true believer, you're not a covetous individual. You want to be thankful for what God gives to your neighbor, to your friends, to your family. Maybe He hasn't given that to you. But you're thankful that God has given it to your family or friends. And you rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep. We don't do it perfectly. Understand. Our striving to keep the commandments of God is not what we're going to present to the Lord of whether or not we are justified in His sight. That was once for all by the righteous works of Christ alone. But God does reward His people. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ alone, but we are rewarded by our works. Did you get that? We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So, boil that all down. We are saved by Jesus Christ, but we are rewarded by our works. 
Not saved by our works, we're saved by Christ's works. But God rewards his people by their works. And so it is that we strive to become obedient to the commandments of God. And we rely upon the working of the Holy Spirit. And we confess that we've fallen short. We have not kept the commandments perfectly. But beloved, there is a direction in our life, isn't there? The unbeliever doesn't confess. The unbeliever doesn't strive to honor God. The unbeliever doesn't say, what does the word of God say about this? The unbeliever doesn't think, well, you know, I can't do that because I'd be breaking the commandments of God. The unbeliever doesn't want God in his thinking. The unbeliever doesn't want the monument of the Ten Commandments in front of his face. He doesn't want it in the classroom. He doesn't want it anywhere. He doesn't want in God we trust on the coins. He doesn't want anything to do with God. He is his own boss, he thinks. He's going to live his life the way he wants to, according to his principles, which is absolute, utter foolishness and rebellion against the true and living God. We are not that individual. We are those who have been redeemed from that darkness, that muck and that mire. To serve the true and living God. And now we strive. Now we strive to obey. There are times that we fall short. I understand that. But the direction of our life is not away from God, it's to God. We're not Adam and Eve in the garden running from God. We are those running to God. We are those saying, it was good when I heard the words, let us go into the house of the Lord to worship. That's what we delight in as those who are the redeemed of Jesus Christ. Is that you? Is that reflective? Is that emblematic of your life? Is that what others would see about you? That you not only gather for worship, but you live this. Christ, who is our life, He's not an aspect of my life. He's not an addendum to my life. He's not one part of my life. Christ, who is my life. That's how we are to view it as Christians. That's what the Scriptures teach. So everything else in my life is affected by this relationship of Christ. If it's not honoring to the Lord, I don't do it. If it's not in keeping with the will of the Lord, I avoid it. That's the striving of one who has been redeemed that keeps the covenant and the commandments of God. Are you ready to meet the Lord because we are fleeting? Are you trusting in His mercy, His grace, His merits to be your only standing before the true and living God? Are you striving to walk in obedience? You show yourself as one redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice and be glad. If not, you need to cry out to the Lord. You need to run to the Lord while there is time because you have not the next moment so that means now today is the day of salvation it's to turn and to run to him to trust upon him to embrace him it's all about the lord jesus christ this is what this this particular portion of this psalm teaches where our life is fleeting god's mercy is abundant And those that are the redeemed 
fear him, and walk in truth. Amen. Shall we pray?